Blog Talk Radio. Choices, decisions, frustrations, and pain. Knowing I'm going to forget her someday. While I still can, I'll challenge all my loved ones, every friend, to look inside their hearts and understand that I. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Alzheimer Speaks Radio Show. I am so excited about our show today. We have our friend Norms from across the pond with us. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, founder of Alzheimer Speaks International Resource uh, website, blog, and radio show. And I'm all about shifting our dementia care culture around the world. And we here at Alzheimer Speaks Radio hope you'll join us. And you can do that by calling in live at 714-364-4757. That's 714-364-4757. Or you can always join us in the chat box as well. Our, our expert who lives with Alzheimer's disease and who has early onset Rick Phelps may uh, pop into the show a little bit later, and if he does, I will definitely pull him into the conversation. Um, Rick is the founder of Memory People on Facebook, and uh, that is a a social support group for people with early uh, memory loss as well as um, those caring for them, both family and professionals. If you haven't checked it out, I would highly encourage you to do so. I also ask everyone, if you don't mind helping us spread the word about the show, um, and you can do that by liking us or tweeting us or emailing an episode uh, to friends, family, and colleagues. It's very easy just on the front page as we are kind of a little grassroots organization here. So without any further ado, I want to introduce Norms McNamara. And again, Norms is from the U.K., And he is my superhero. He's a super advocate for dementia. He's an author, a spokesman, and an expert on living with dementia. And for him, it's really been a mixed journey of being told he had Alzheimer's disease to now being diagnosed with Lewy body dementia. Norm is an absolutely amazing man making huge shifts in our dementia care culture around the world, and I promise this is going to be a wonderful conversation that will spark many ideas for all of us to take seriously. So welcome to the show, Norms. How are you doing today? I'm absolutely fine, thank you, Laurie. Absolutely wonderful. Feeling good. Well, good, good. I'm I'm glad we got you on the line here. I was having a little problems with my long distance <laughs> there for a while, and we weren't sure we were going to make it work, but we did. So that's good. I, I want to start out with, um, Norms, can you tell people just a little bit more about yourself and kind of your journey with dementia, um, just kind of in a nutshell, and then we'll get into some of the things that you're working on. 
Yep, so yeah, um, I was diagnosed with dementia at age 50. Um, I went downhill quite rapidly until I was given the drug Exelon and um, Ibiza. And um, for the last two years, two and a half years, um, I've got my life back. So since that day, I decided to do what I can when I can for as long as I can um, to try and raise awareness. Um, since that day, I founded Dementia Awareness Day. I founded the Torbay Dementia Factory Alliance. I've written three books. And uh, I blog all over the world. And um, as long as I'm able to carry on doing this, I'll try to do it to the best of my ability. And I just like people to to know and understand that um, there is life after diagnosis, Laura. Great. You have really made a big difference in my life, and I know so many others. So I just want to encourage you to keep up your fantastic work and the momentum you have behind you and the following is just absolutely fabulous. You speak from the heart and you share so many wonderful perspectives of what it's like to live with this disease and what changes are needed. Um, I want to ask you about the Prime Minister over there and his dementia challenge. Um, what exactly is he, uh, has he proposed, and how is it being received by both uh, government and the people? So if you can, again, tell us about the Prime Minister's kind of challenge. Yeah, the, the, the Prime Minister David Cameron, um, I was looking up to have a private meeting with him in March this year, and um, he is, it, it was history in the making because he was the first ever Prime Minister to stand up in public on TV and say that he's going to hit this dementia problem head on. And he created what he called the Dementia Challenge. So what he wants is to raise awareness for the next two or three years to find a way of how we can get there and get people not only better to understand it, but hopefully find a cure. Now, dementia um, has always only got an eighth of the funding of what Cancer UK have got, or Heart Foundation, so what he did as Prime Minister, he pledged another £34 million in the pot to try and find a cure and to help people create dementia-friendly communities. On top of that, he also added another £10 million for the dementia-friendly communities themselves to be created so we could maybe employ people um, to create these dementia-friendly communities and make it a safer and better place for people to live within the UK. Well, that, that is fantastic. How have people been um, receiving his his mission to, to march forward with this? It's getting great coverage. We've never had so much. In the dementia world, per se, in the UK, we have never, ever had so much coverage on TV, radio, media, papers. And um, I, I honestly believe that compared to three years ago when I first started this, um, try to change the way that people think. I can honestly see like a light at the end of the tunnel. People are beginning to change the way they think about dementia because it's being talked about, because it's being read, you know, reading about it, because it's being shown on television. Thirty years ago, you couldn't mention cancer in this country. They used to call it the big C. People was frightened of mentioning it in case they caught it. Um, Twenty years ago, HIV was the same. They used to think it was just a a one-sex disease where now we know it's, um, it doesn't matter what sex you are, you can get HIV. You can't even whisper around the, around the table 20 years ago, but because of the government initiatives and because of the way they publicised it and shown it on TV, people accept it now and talk about it. This is what's happening now with dementia in the UK. People are beginning to accept it 
and begin to talk about it. It's the dawn of a new age, and it's very exciting, Maria. It's wonderful, and, and getting that conversation is so important to remove the stigmas and to raise the awareness. I don't think people understand how much a, a little conversation can have such a huge, huge impact on, on shifting things around and giving people comfort to knowing mm. that it's okay to talk about this disease. Yeah, we, when I do my presentations, when I talk, sometimes I don't actually announce the fact that I have a dementia until halfway through. And then when I actually say I was diagnosed five years ago, you can audibly hear in the, in the audience, they go, oh, and they just shake their heads and their eyes go wide. And, and, and I think, you know, this is the whole point. It's the shock and awe, but this is the point of getting it across to say, you know, please don't put everybody with dementia in one box. You know, we're not all very elderly, and we're not all in late stages. Dementia has got to begin and end somewhere. And what I think, it, what I classify it is, is, there's a critical chain of events that lead up to the later stages. And if people start to recognise what those critical chain of events are in the early stages, people will then begin to talk about it more. Yep, definitely, definitely. Now, you guys are doing um, several different initiatives um, over there, um, but I want to first talk about your dementia-friendly communities. Can you tell us a little bit more about what exactly is a dementia-friendly community? Thank you, Laurie. Yeah, I do know I've been asked that a thousand times. Um, probably, yeah, it's the same, it's the same answer every time. All we're trying to do is to try to improve the lives of people who have been touched by this awful disease within Tor Bay, which is my community. Now, Tor Bay comes, it has three towns, it's not just the one. We don't do things by heart here. It's Torquay, Brixham, and Painton. So it's a, it's a big old place to cover. But what we're doing, it's quite, we're doing it simpler. We're, what we're doing is walking into companies. And I have a document that I wrote explaining what it's like to live with dementia and the problems that they could face and the problems I face on a day-to-day basis. We're asking them to give that to the staff. We're asking all the staff to read it. Now, within a week or a month, depending on the size of the company, once the staff have gone through the training and they've read it, then we will award them a dementia-friendly um, aware badge. But we're, what we're doing, we're approaching people where it matters, in supermarkets, in banks, in post offices, in hypermarkets, in, in social clubs, in, in, in everyday life. And it's everywhere where people go out and contact with other people. And I am pleased to announce, on, obviously this is the first time I've ever mentioned it to anybody on, on radio, that I have a meeting on the 19th of September with um, a buzz and court company called Stagecoach, which cover the whole of Devon County, and they are very keen to come on board. Now, can you imagine if you multiply every buzz that drives around Devon times the amount of passengers that get on that buzz on a daily basis? You're talking about thousands and thousands of people over the year. And if we can make these bus drivers and coach drivers dementia worse and we know what they're looking out for, just the impact they could have on people's lives is, is mind-boggling. So this is what we're trying to do. We're just trying to have an impact on people's lives so that when they go into shops, when they go into hotels, when they come down to Devon on holiday, they know that the stigma will be gone. They know that they won't have got no questioning looks. 
and they know that um, if they do have an episode of spatial awareness or um, unable to count the money, that the staff are going to understand. They're going to give them that little bit more time. And if, if I have time, Laurie, I'd love to tell you a perfect example. Is that okay? Mm-hmm. There's a store in, um, in England, one in Torbay called Wilkinson's, and it's, um, I suppose it's the equivalent of a, a do-it-yourself store and what you have in America, like a grocery store thing. And um, they have a staff of about 50 there, and it's a, there's thousands going in every day. Now, we approached Wilkinson's about a month ago, and we asked them um, if they could let their staff read all the information that I'd written. Within two days of those staff reading that information, there was an incident where a lady who was in her 80s was um, confused and agitated. Because of what that one of those staff had read, he felt confident enough to approach that lady, sit her down, but she, they got a phone call, phone number out of her, they got a family down. Do you know why that, that lady arrived home safely? Oh, to me, that's a great story. To, to me, when me and my, my lovely wife Elaine first started this, we said if we could help one person, then it would be worthwhile. Well, that day it was. It was so worthwhile because we helped that one person because we got feedback that what we were doing was making a difference. Obviously, we didn't think, oh, well, that's it. You know, we still have a lot more to do. But that just proves that what we are doing, it's working. It's working. And what I love about what you're doing is it's not this big, complicated, tangled mess. I mean, you've kept it really simple about having a discussion, have something to read, and it's all about raising awareness. It's all about removing the fear. It's not that everybody has to have all the answers. It's just some basic resources to be able to approach the situation and then go from there. Because every situation is different. And, yeah. and I, I, you know, I find here in the U.S., and, and I don't know if you find it over there, but here in the U.S., it seems like so many want the, the perfect answer to every situation. Well, there, there isn't one. You know, this isn't a one-size-fits-all disease. No, no. When you've met one person with dementia, you've met one person with dementia. Exactly, exactly. So it really is about developing a comfort and a toolkit to be able to to deal with any situation that, that comes up and to, to do it in a compassionate fashion. So kudos to you. Um, do you know about how many, like, businesses that you've, you've talked to? I know that I saw the list, and I know it was quite extensive. I was really impressed on how fast it's growing. Yeah, at the, moment, at the moment we have an excess of 150 businesses. Now, some of these businesses um, are huge, and they have over 400 staff. And if you include the hospitals as well with the nursing staff there, you're talking about thousands of staff. Um, so, yeah, people people in Torbay are really, really good, and they've really got hold of this. And um, all, all, all credit to them, because... You know, um, all, all, all I did was put the put the uh, toolkit together and the document together. But I think they've appreciated it because it's come from somebody who has dementia and it's not come from somebody who thinks they know what it's about. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what's made the difference. And because we've kept it so simple, Laura, and because we're not, it doesn't cost anything, it's absolutely free. All they've got to do is download this from the Internet. So apart from a bit of ink... It's not cost, and you know, and people, you know, times are hard at the moment in the UK, and I'm sure they are all over the world. 
Um, you know, and people like free. You know, who doesn't? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And they appreciate it being kept simple. They don't want to be followed up with phone calls. They don't. They, they want the freedom of being able to ring us if they need to do. They don't. They don't want an action plan. They don't want to say, "Oh, you've got to do this by a certain date." Yeah. You know, these guys are busy. You know, as we all are. And they really appreciate the simplicity of it. I think, to be honest, that's the reason why it's taken us so well, Laura. Well, I like that, and I, I think what you're doing is <clears throat> kind of what I what, what I do with my speaking and training. I call it emotional based, and I think you're getting to the heart of the situation, and you're making people feel the need to want to get involved and to make a difference, and again to remove that fear that this really isn't doesn't have to be a scary disease. You know, if we all work no. together. <clears throat> no. Oh, go ahead, Dorm. So, yeah, well, what we have found is when we walk into shops and when we walk into businesses, they appreciate it because we're explaining it face to face. I mean, technology is a wonderful thing and emails are brilliant and Skype is wonderful, but I don't think you can beat that human contact. And I think uh-huh. because we're taking the time and trouble to walk into the business and meet these guys or ring them up and arrange a meeting and then go down to meet them in real time when they're not busy. And I think they appreciate that rather than just getting an email. Yeah, oh, I agree, I agree. If, um, and I don't know if this would help or not, but I, you know, I've started this Dementia Chats, which is a webinar series that I'm doing right now with um, Rick Phelps and Harry Urban. Um, and we're mm. doing it every other Saturday. But it's basically where we talk about what it's like. And, you know, if that would ever be helpful for anybody over there to tap in, those are free recordings. Those are on my website at www.alzheimerspeaks.com. And people can listen to them, you know, at any time. But I'm sure it would help. Yeah, I'm amazing the insights um, that, you know, that, that, that we're getting um, because we're finally hearing the voice of you and Rick and Dr. Richard Taylor. Um, people are, are really taking people with the disease so much more seriously and understanding how important it is because the rest of us are guessing what it's like. And you guys actually know what it's like. And um, what a better source. You know, there is no better source um, than to get it from someone who is truly living with the disease. It's, uh, you know, it's very different for me because I've been living with it for 30 years, but it's through my mom. That's a whole different perspective. Mm. And, and not that I haven't learned a lot and have a lot to teach, but it's a different perspective than going through what you're actually going through on a day-to-day basis. And, um, again, I think the insights that you give us through your writing, um, I get I get so many comments, Norm, on my blog about your videos and your writing. Um, I can't even send them all to you because um, – <laughs> so I just want you to know the impact you're making. Thank you so much. It's nice to know. Thank you, Norm. It's very, very significant. Um, with that. Um, I wanted to also ask you, I've got my little list of questions here, Um, for, uh, you know, over in the UK, if somebody wants to get involved, if they're a business or a community and they want to get involved with being dementia friendly, how do they contact you? Is it you that they contact or is it somebody else? No, no, at the moment I'm the acting chairman of the um, Torbay Dementia Action Alliance. So it's actually me that they contact. Okay. 
Okay. And um, I agree to either meet them or they can come up here to where I live and meet. It's very informal, um, but they can come up here to meet me. I've met people from uh, Rawcroft, which is a cancer charity here, and I've met people from the Chadwell Memory Clinic, um, which looks after people with memory problems here in Sorbonne. We've sat in our house in the front room having a coffee and, and just chatted for a couple of hours. So it's very informal and it's, it's very relaxed. But, yeah, they, they usually email or ring me. Okay. And, uh, and I would just like chat to them and explain what we're all about and then invite them to the next um, Alliance meeting. Okay. And are, are you comfortable giving out your email on the air, or do you prefer that they contact you? No, no, I'm very comfortable with it because it's a big wide world out there, Laurie, and um, I always think I've grown up enough to deal with anything that comes. <laughs> okay. And so do you want to tell people what your email address is, Norm? Yeah, yeah my email is norms, that's, N O double R M S at Gmail dot com. Okay. It's as simple as that. Wonderful. Now I'm really, really excited because you have a big day coming up and um it's your second dementia awareness day and I was just amazed watching you last year when you threw this idea out. And, like, in three or four months, you had 14,000 people following you. I have no idea even what the numbers are anymore. I'm sure they've gone through the roof. Um, but can you tell people about why you started Dementia Awareness Day? And then yeah, we'll get into we're, we're very, as, you, as you say, Laurie, we're very, very proud, I'm pleased to say, this is the second, interna- well, now we call it International Dementia Awareness Day, um, because there's events going on all over the world. And the reason why it was formed was, one, well, way back in the day, I actually wrote a story. Um, I don't know if you remember or not, but I wrote a story about the stars and, and the kind of hope that I got from by looking at them and the light that was shining. And the idea kind of came from that, but Dementia Awareness Day came from, um, or Dad, as we, call, we like to call it, because you think it sounds, sounds good when you say Dad, because that, that personal touch um, came about because... There's a World Alzheimer's Day, and um, here in the UK, um, the Alzheimer's Society have an Alzheimer's Awareness Week, but there was no such thing as a Dementia Awareness Day, and this is a day where all types of dementia are brought together, and and the World Alzheimer's Day is a wonderful day, and I, I know Mark as well, you know, and he's a really good friend of mine, and I support that day on the 21st of September 100%. And I support the one that happens here in the UK, but by the, giving the name Alzheimer's, a lot of people with other types of dementia feel a little bit left out. So we decided to create a Dementia Awareness Day so it would encapsulate all types of dementia so nobody would feel that left out. They feel as though they were part of this big family. And uh, it's really just gone from strength to strength. And we only heard about a month or so ago um, the Louis Bodies. Sunshine Coast of Australia are having a huge event on the 15th of um, September. And the thing is, because they're in Australia, they actually hold it a day before us. So I, we can look at the video and the pictures and everything the day before. And then um, obviously we'll be sending things over to them as well. Um, there's things going on in, in your country as well. There's, I think, it's our friends in Texas that's having a party and other places like that. It, it, it's just a wonderful day just to get people together. And um, not to celebrate, celebrate the wrong word, but it's 
to bring people together to understand and just raise awareness on that one there. And we'd like to think that by releasing balloons at 3 o'clock, which we're doing all over the world on whatever time zone you're in, we're going to release balloons at 3 o'clock and we'll send them skywards towards the heavens. And we'll just feel part of America. America will feel part of us. We'll feel part of Australia. And we'll just know that as one, we'll be one body. And we'll all be hoping for a cure. And I, and I think I think that's what that's what keeps me going. It's that hope for the cure. But the support for the day has been absolutely wonderful, Laura. Oh, that's great. I know um, Rick with Memory People is planning on doing a, a balloon release with his group, you know, so I know he's got people all over the world that will be joining in with that. And we are going to do um, a radio show that day um, about awareness. And my goal with that is really to have it be an open mic day so we can hear um, people can call in with their, their thoughts and what they're doing. Um, what yeah. the deal needs to be done. And then we're also going to have um, Ashley Elena on, and she has an app for the iPhone called the Unit Tactus. And it's, um, it's a really neat um, app that allows people to do tracking, and it also allows, um, you know, for your phone, instead of having to read names, you can go by pictures. And then there's a yeah. help tab on, on every um every single screen, and she's going to give actually two apps away to our callers that day. So we're going to be doing that uh, on, uh, again, on the 15th um, Dementia Awareness Day. So we'll be, That will we'll be wonderful. Thank you so much. Yeah, we'll be trying to raise awareness here from, from our end as well. I, um, like I said, I've just been amazed at all the chatter um, about about the day and how much it's grown. And I love that you um, had the insight to change the name because, you know, all the dementias um, need our support. And even though Alzheimer's is probably the most common, you've got Lewy bodies, frontal temporal lobe, and, and there's, you know, vascular. There's so vascular, many. Vascular, yeah. Pitch disease, yeah. Yeah. There's so many different versions out there, and it really doesn't make any difference what you have. Um, a person with it still needs our support and our understanding. Um, exactly, exactly. That, that, that was the whole point of actually founding Dementia Awareness Day. Um, we have, I've got written support from Mark Wortman from the uh, World Alzheimer's um, Society. I have um, I've written support from Jeremy Hughes, who's the Chief Executive of the Alzheimer's UK, from Alistair Burns, who's the um, National Clinical Director of the UK of Dementia. And, and other big companies who are really behind us, you know, because we said it's because we've, we're trying to encapsulate where every type of dementia is brought together on that day. And um, yeah, it's, it's just it's, the support I've had and the messages I've had has been absolutely wonderful. And and we do uh, obviously we raise, we do raise money on the day as well, but you know, but the day is predominantly predominantly about raising awareness. Mm -hmm. And if we raise a few funds on the day, well, that'll go towards the Lewis Body Society in the UK this year. And then next year, who knows, because we like to have a different charity every year. And that way, it's only fair. We have a different dementia charity every year, so everybody gets a bite of the apple, and it's not the same one every time. And I think that's become some of the attraction as well, because people know we're sharing that rather than just donating to one. I like that idea. I like that idea. I, I think that we really do need to be collaborative, and we have to we have to spread the resources around to everybody in need. And so, to me, that is just such a um, 
such a positive and healthy way to look at things mm. and to be able to work together. I, I think that's brilliant. So kudos to you. I like I said, I just I love getting your emails and um, you know your your all of the the media that you're getting, all the attention um, is just absolutely fabulous. I wish there would be a little bit more of that embraced here in the U.S. Um, we we have a lot of media, but they really aren't focused too much on um, the everyday Joe that has the disease. You know, it has to be more of a celebrity. It seems like before they before they get in the news, which um, there's a little bit of a backlash for you know people feel a little um, uh, pushed off by that. Um, I can I can fully understand that. I mean, to be honest with you, that was certainly a case here a while ago. Um, people did question why it was all the celebrities with relatives with this awful disease that were speaking about it. But um, this year was the first, it's been a heck of a year really in the UK because this year we had our first, very first um, TV um, television advertisement all about Alzheimer's and uh, dementia, which was uh, never been known on British TV before, and that raised awareness wonderfully. Um, the other thing I'd like to see change now, I'd like to see it taken one step further, where instead of actors, they would actually have somebody with Alzheimer's in the advertisement themselves. Because I yeah. still believe that people think, well, they're really acting. Yeah, I, I still agree with you. They had, uh, I can't remember what channel here in the U.S., but they had a, uh, a cancer telethon. And it was the best one that I had really seen in um, in ages, where the actors were just introducing those living with the disease, and it was mm-hmm. a really positive message of, you know, their their struggles and where they're at, and that they have a future and a life. And it was it was so well done. And it's like, you know, I would love to see that for dementia. Uh, I would love to be able to change. Um, the perception of who gets dementia. And I think we've come a long ways just even in the last three years. Um, but we I have, agree. But we have so much further to go. I mean, I think a lot of people are uh, more understanding that you don't have to be 90 to get this disease. And in your end stage of life, that um, you can be young and and still have a fulfilling life and be very active in your community. I mean, you are just a prime example um, you and Rick and, and Richard Taylor, uh, uh, in terms of what you're doing to raise awareness, and um, I think sometimes though people are taken back, and um, I've actually heard people say this sometimes. Well, I don't believe they really have the disease because they come up. Yeah, much. I've come across that a few times. And what people have to realize is. <laughs> You know, there's different stages to this disease. And um, and one doctor said to me at one time, and, and I don't know for sure if this is true, I, I tend to believe it, that if we stay focused on our passion, it allows us to maintain our skill levels um, yeah. in that area. And I think all of you are very passionate. And, um, and I think that helps drive. I mean, it helps me stay motivated and on task when I love what I do. And, um, and and I don't think um, as much as there's a lot of things that change when people get the disease, um, I, you know, I always tell people that even someone with dementia still processes 
things exactly mm. using the exact same equation. You know, it's your attitude and your past experience equals um, your reaction and your, yeah. you know, and so or um, triggers your perception, and then your perception then triggers your reaction. Yeah, I think, I, yeah, I know I've come across this many times, and, and I always answer it the same way. I have never professed to have late-stage dementia. I have early onset dementia that's been staved off by the drugs I'm taking. I, would, I did go downhill rather quick, but because of the drugs I take, which is not a cure, we know that, but it staves it off for so long. How long? Nobody knows, but I have never, I have never said that I have late, I am in late stage dementia. It's just that people's perceptions, as soon as they hear the word dementia, in the mind, all of a sudden, this picture pops up of an elderly person sat in a, sat in a care home, unable to speak or feed themselves. And this is where it takes me back to what I said earlier in the program, Lawyer. All dementias have to start and start and end somewhere. It's like when you, you, you have the flu, you start off feeling shivery, then you get worse and you get worse until you have full-blown flu. Dementia is no different. It's an illness just, just like that. You start off with little bits, you, you, your lifestyle changes. You might forget a couple of things, but it's not all about forgetting things. It's about doing things that you wouldn't normally do. It's about doing things that are affecting your everyday life, like not being able to use the knife and fork and not being able to put your shoes on or dress yourself. It's not just about forgetting names and faces. And that this is a gradual, as I said, it's a critical chain of events, and so that gets to the late stages. And then some people realise that you can have dementia in early stages, and it can be 8 to 12 years before you go down to late stages. This is what they've got to realise, they've got to try and understand the whole disease, and not just the end side, the end of it. Yeah, I had, I was talking with somebody um, the other day, who was in a, a pretty um, high position, and uh, she was arguing with me that a person will only live 7 to 12 years, and that's the statistic, and that's what she's sticking to. And I'm like, my mom has had dementia for 30-plus years. Yeah. And and, um, and she's like, that's impossible. And I'm like, no, it's not. You know, and I, it's I, I not first, impossible because everybody's different. Everybody is different. And, and I think with early diagnosis, I think that's going to be much more common and, you know, I think that she is part of why she's still alive is because of the environment, um, you know, that she lived in throughout that time embraced her and her disease. And, um, you know, I think that's a critical thing. So she still had passion and will to live. And, yeah. and, and even being in her end stages now for four years, you know, where she needs total care, and she can, you know, only says a few words a day, and sometimes they make sense and sometimes they don't. I think mm. it's because she is in an environment where she knows she's still loved, and the staff take just wonderful care of her. It makes and, all the difference. Yeah, yeah. And so, again, I think we're going to have to really reframe this disease. One of my favorite sayings is to teach people how to live with it, not as it. And yeah, I, I always yeah I I I live with the disease. I, I'm not, I'm not dying from it. Yeah, I'm living I am living with it. Yeah, and we have to also teach um, not only the people diagnosed, but their their care partners as well. You know how how do we live with this disease and not let it take over and take away our lives? Um, because some people I think end up you know feeling like they're just drowning. 
um, from this disease. And not that everybody doesn't have those moments, but you just you don't want to stay in that that river of being overcome um, from the disease. That's right. So, That's right. Yeah, and I think it's just it really, really is just the people look at it and take a different um, perspective of it. Yeah. Um, it should be brilliant. Yeah. Now, now Norms, I want to ask you about planting memories. This is another initiative. Um, can you yeah, tell another us one? What I do in my spare time. Yeah. Can you can you tell us what this one is about and how this got started? Well, how this got started is I I have a love of gardening and uh, I once wrote a poem about how I'd forgotten uh, I used to know all the Latin names for plants and things like that. Um, but I really enjoy gardening, I still enjoy it now, so I came up with the idea of care homes and allotments and people with really large gardens just giving a little piece of the garden over and calling it what we call planting memories. We have our own logo, it's all patented now. And what they do, um, we have one care home in Torquay called the Wargood Knitting Home, and they've landscapes an acre and a half, and we're going to build there, and we're going to build a, a, a memory garden, which will consist of two, uh, not only a path, where they'll be able to go down the wheelchairs, and they can fit two so they can pass. And it'll be a journey down, because of all the different things when they go around this journey. There'll be, uh, there'll be a sensory garden where you can smell, there'll be another garden where you can touch and you can feel, or you can hear chimes. There's a post where you can press a, press a button, and all the old records play. And then when you come up to the top, it, that, that's for people like in early stages like myself. And what they'll be is um, raised beds where we'll grow vegetables, fruits, vegetables, and uh, flowers and things like that. And what we'd like to do is we'd like to um, take cuttings of things like roses and shrubs and trees. And we'd like to grow the ton. And then what we're going to do, we're going to sell these at a tenth of the price of what you get in the shops two people who have either had somebody they've lost with dementia or been touched with dementia, and then what they'll do then, they will plant it in, in a certain part of this garden, which we will call a memory garden itself. So they will plant these plants in, in the name of whoever they want to do. Um, and it was an idea I had overnight, and I can't really explain where it came from. Um, so I, I thought about it a little bit, and I put some feelers out, and it went absolutely manic after that. It was, um, I got all sorts of phone calls from all sorts of people all over the country saying, have you thought of this, have you done this? And um, now we have two care homes in uh, Turkey who's converted the uh, gardens into a planting memories. And the point, the, it's not just about the gardens itself. For too long now, people have walked past care homes and nursing homes and they've seen the big gates, and they've seen the tall trees, and they've often wondered what goes on behind those things. Well, this is what we're making a difference. We're going to take these homes out of the shadows and put them in the public domain. These memory gardens and planting memory gardens will be open to the public as well, where they can come in and have a look. It'll be open to both young and old, and we want to get the community together to realise that dementia is nothing to be frightened of. They can come to summer things, they can come to winter fates, they can come out just sit a while in summer, even if they haven't got dementia, but they can come and enjoy the garden and meet the people who live in the home, who are also enjoying the garden, and that way the stigma will be, drive, will be driven really, really down, 
and it's, I, I'm, I'm more excited probably about that than anything else because I, I just think that it'll make such a big difference, not only to the people who live in the care homes and their relatives, but to people on the outside as well who can come in and begin to accept that, hey, yeah, they're just people like anybody else who's living a wonderful life in a care home and, um, until the end of days. And uh, we, we're really excited about it, as you can tell. Oh, that, that is so neat. I have a, just a little memory garden in my own backyard um, that I did from when my dad passed, and it just brings me so much comfort, and it's just so beautiful um, to be able to have that. So I think that um, having that place of serenity and uh, is just a neat, neat thing. And, again, it's another way to get people talking and visiting exactly. and, and comfortable, you know, with with the disease, I mean, it's it's no different than any other disease that we've had to tackle, um, and and each one has come with its stigmas, and it's just a matter of working together um, to join forces um, to accept, you know, what it is, and then what we can make a difference with. Um, so if, if people wanted, is the Planting Memories program something that um, people could contact you with if they were interested in, in starting Of course they can. They can contact me on the same email, by all means, yes. And I'll just explain exactly how we've done it here in the UK. Um, okay. How to go about advertising it and what we put together. And uh, we've also got a Facebook page. If anybody would like to look at it, it on, on Facebook it actually comes under Planting Memories. Um, if you just put that in there, you'll see the logo. It's a little plant pot with a with a little eye looking at you. It's um, quite cute, and it was designed by a friend of mine, um, a very good friend of mine called Lynn Richards. And it's it's a wonderful design, and it just keeps the design of hope. And they can have a look on there. They can contact me either through the planting members page or on my own email. Okay, wonderful. If um. And if you have a, uh, I don't know if there's a brochure or kind of an article on that, I could add that to the Alzheimer's Speaks resource website, too, for people, um, any of your initiatives to be able to drive. I'd be more than glad to, to push people that way. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, well, um, there's, a, there's a firm in England called Engage for You. I think it's an insurance firm who's going who's gonna to actually be interviewing me a, a week ago, and they're, they're going to publish a really big piece on the planting memories. So, and uh, they asked me all sorts of what it was about, so I can let you have the link to that. Okay, wonderful. Yeah, that would be that would be great. Um, I also wanted to point out um, on the the International Collaborative Resource website that I started, AlzheimerSpeaks.com. Norm has um, a section there with his own personal writings, and if you're not familiar with his work, it is absolutely fabulous and he just does such a he just does such a cool job um, in terms of capturing the moments and really letting us know um, what's what and so I actually have his writings in two different sections um, both are under tools and products and then there's a place where you can see personal stories and advice about dementia and um, both of your books are featured there as well, Me and My Alzheimer's, and More Than Words, poems written and spoken by an Alzheimer's sufferer. Um, so you can find out how to purchase those, those books, and then there's a, a sampling of um, some of his, his writings as well. And then under Poetry, 
um, we've got them listed. And then in the resource directory, um, we also have a, a link to all of his writings, which is just really very, very cool and very generous for, for you to share all of your heartfelt um, things that you're going through on this journey. Because like I said, I, I get comments constantly on how much you, you touch people um, with everything that you're doing there. Thank you. Yeah, so that's very, very neat. Um, we only have about 15 minutes left on the show here, um, Norm. And I, what I'd like to do is, if you wouldn't mind, just really talk about um, some tips that you have for people in terms of, you know, what you would like to see changed. But before I go there, I have to make a comment because Rose, I didn't say this quite a while ago, Rose uh, Lamont said, um, thanks, Norm. Uh, what did she say? Keep on, keep on uh, going. She just loves all that you're doing. And so that was in the chat box, and I meant to pull that into the discussion um, earlier here. So do you have tips for um, maybe someone who is just recently diagnosed with dementia? Any thoughts for them? Uh, yeah, I have. Uh, first of all, I'd like to say hi to Rose. He's, uh, yeah, um, that's a very nice comment, and I'm in regular contact with Rose on the Facebook and email. So, uh, Rose, if you're listening, hello. <laughs> I just thought I'd get that in. Um, yeah, if, if the first diagnosed is ask every question you can imagine. Um, what me and Elaine have done here in the UK, um, we've asked the Department of Health, which are the guys that leave, uh, do all the leaflets, um, to produce a leaflet that gives you 10 top tips of what to do once you're diagnosed. And all the ideas came from me and Elaine. I'm pleased to say that will be produced up and down the UK in the next couple, the next couple of months or so. And on these 10 top tips is find out where your nearest Alzheimer's Society office is, find out where your nearest Dementia UK office is, find out where your, your memory cafes are, and things like that. But the most important thing I could tell anybody is when you come out of that office or that doctor's, when you've had an appointment and you've just been diagnosed, please, please, please make another appointment in two weeks' time to speak to somebody. It might not be the consultant. It might be another doctor. It might be what we call a um, community psychiatric nurse. But please, please make another appointment within two weeks because I promise you, once you've had, which is quite possibly the worst news of your life, within two weeks you will have a million questions in your head. You'll be thinking, I wish I'd have asked this, I wish I'd have asked that. If you make that appointment and make another appointment for two weeks after you've just been diagnosed, and it'll give you two weeks to talk about it with your family, get your head around the idea, as we say here, and then write these questions down. And it doesn't matter how long it is, you're the patient. You're the one that needs to know this. Write your questions down, everything you need to know, and make sure that you attend that appointment within two weeks. Place the list in front of you and ask the doctor one by one and take a pen and paper with you. Because if you don't ask these questions, you will just simply go home and thinking, I wish I'd have asked this, I wish I'd have asked that. What's going to happen here? What's going to happen there? And um, you'll be sorry you didn't ask. And for me, that is the biggest thing um, that ever happened to me was when I first got diagnosed, I was told to either use it or lose it, and that was it. I found yeah. myself outside with Elaine, and we, we didn't know what to do. Look, has it? Elaine's been in Kirk, worked in Kirk for 30 years. 
Um, but we both kind of stood there and shook our heads and thought, well, what do we do now? I just got told I've got dementia. It's a terminal disease. There's no way you can get away from that. There is no cure for this disease. So what do we do now? If it was cancer, they wouldn't have done that. If it was heart problems, they wouldn't have done that. But yet with dementia, for some unknown reason, um, some, not all, not everybody, but some people do. So make that appointment. Make that appointment within two weeks. Give yourself a bit of breathing space and give yourself time to think about all the questions you want to ask. Then go back and ask all your questions. And the other things I can say, Laurie, is talk about it. Talk about it to your family. Explain it to your kids. I sat down, I, I sat our kids down, well, we sat our kids down, and uh, it was a case of, oh, all right then, right, what are we doing then? <laughs> because the children, they just accepted it and said, oh, so you're going to forget a few things now and again. I said, quite possibly, yeah. And, you know, it was a bit emotional, but, you know, they, after that, um, kids are kids, they're resilient. And they just get on with it. Now, when I told friends that I had dementia, I lost 70% of my friends, both email and real, um, what I call real friends. Uh, that was a shock. But I'm glad I did, because I've made so many what I call real friends since being diagnosed, because people now accept me for who I am and what disease I've got. And um, for those that's walked away, then I'd just like to say, well, I'm sorry that you did walk away, but, you know, it's, hey, it's your loss. You know, um, I've got loads and loads of friends now that accept me for who I am. And um, even though I have this disease, um, I'm really confident and I'm really, you know, I'm really um, content with myself. So don't be frightened of telling anybody. Don't be frightened of asking any questions. And listen, guys, if any guys are listening now, it's just a diagnosis. You have got a future. Of course you have. You know, you never know what's around the corner. You never know when a cure may come. I fervently believe that a cure will come in my lifetime because I couldn't get up in the morning if I didn't believe that. I couldn't, I couldn't function during the day if I didn't think the cure was around the corner. And I certainly couldn't look in my grandchildren's eyes and burn in my life, I have 18 grandchildren. So I couldn't look in their eyes and when they say, Granddad, are you going to die? And I say, well, no, not yet. I hope not anyway. And I have full of confidence in saying that because I know that one day there will be a cure. And I think those three things are the main things to try and remember, Laura. Well, that's, that's wonderful. I think, uh, you know, it would be nice if the, if the doctors would just automatically, you know, let people know you're going to be overwhelmed. This is, this is an, a normal feeling. And let's just schedule an appointment, you know, for two weeks. Let's just yeah. get, it, get it on the books and do it, um, because I think so many of them do just push people out the door. And it happens here as well. It happens here as well, though. It's not just in the USA. It happens in the UK. Of course they do. Or the most common form is, is what's your age? Yes. Yeah. You know, and we have a saying over here in um, the UK. I don't know what it's like in America, but we have, we have a saying that says, the older your doctor, the less chance you have of getting a diagnosis. Okay. Uh, because we found that the old end of the doctors just tend to say, oh, well, it's your age. Whereas the younger doctors are beginning to realize that it's not. Now, I don't advocate anybody to change the doctors. <laughs> Please don't, you know, um, you know I, take, I, take no, I take no light over this. But, you know, that, that is a common trend within the UK. Okay. Now, do you have any tips? 
for um, care partners? Apart from patients, really. Apart from sometimes people say, is it right to um, disagree with them all the time? And I know I get frustrated sometimes when I say to Elaine, I've told you this, and she say, you haven't. Or I should say, I told you that last week, and I say, you didn't. And, and sometimes it's knowing when to correct people or when it's not. And I think sometimes if you're correcting people with dementia all the time, then I think that's causing friction. I think you've got to pick and choose when you do that. And I think that would help. The most important message I'd say to all the caregivers or co-workers of the colony in the UK is look after yourselves. You must look after yourselves. You must take the time out and you must look after yourselves because if you don't look after yourselves, who's going to look after us? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think you're right about the correcting all the time because I know for my mom, she just shut down then. You know, she didn't want to make a mistake and so she just kind of withdrew. I, I often wonder sometimes if that actually um, speeds it up, you know, because people just get that disheartened dis- 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 when they're getting everything wrong. They just think, well, I'd rather say nothing than something wrong. Yeah. Well, and, and I think that's, you know, in life in general, when people withdraw, that's what happens. Mm. Um, mm. And, and, again, I think there's a lot of similarities with dementia that, um, you know, causes a similar reaction, um, you know, people do get depressed, they do get frustrated, they do get angry, and the rest of us would too if we were going through what you're going through. Um, you know, to stand, in, to stand in your house and look at a door and not know that you can walk through it or to not be able to tie your shoes the way you used to or, you know, know what's appropriate to wear, even though... When you yep. leave the house and you're out being social, you look all pulled together. Well, usually it's because someone's assisted you and guided you or helped you with routines um, mm. to, to uh, adapt for you. And so I, I know with my folks all the time, people go, well, they look normal. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, I, I, I get this all the time. The, the most common thing that's said to me is, you don't look like you've got dementia. Now, I usually answer by saying, well, please, please tell me, what does somebody look like who's got dementia? Yeah. yeah you wouldn't go up to somebody and say, you don't look disabled, would you? Yeah. You, you know, it's just, and then they say, you don't sound like you've got dementia. So I say, well, well, please tell me again, what does somebody sound like who's got yeah. dementia? I mean, I don't understand this concept. You know, what, I mean, we've, had, we've been talking here for nearly an hour, and I can understand why people... Um, I'll say, oh, he doesn't sound like it, or he sounds very um, clued in and switched on. But what they don't know is, I can't fasten the shoelaces, I cannot dress myself, I cannot shave myself, I cannot show myself. All these things, I cannot do, I cannot dress myself for anything. All these things that I have either forgotten to do, or I can't remember what to put on and things like that. And that's the, But that's the side that people don't see, Laura. Oh, they, sometimes you see me standing there giving this big presentation in the shift and tie, and they don't realise that my wife's just gone through an area of hell trying to get me dressed, and I've been throwing tantrums saying, I don't want this shift, I don't want that shift on, and uh, I'm not wearing that kind of tie. And they don't see they don't see what goes on behind the scenes. And I think people people have got to start understanding that, especially from a caregiving side, and I'm sure any caregivers that listen to this can understand what I'm saying. But um, it must be so frustrating for them 
as well as well as the person with dementia. Yeah, very, very good good point. Well, Norm, I cannot thank you enough for um, spending an hour with us this morning. This has just been absolutely wonderful. You are you are one of my very favorite people to talk to on this topic because you are so creative and you are so energetic and so positive and you are I mean you are shifting our dementia care culture around the world and you know that is one of my primary goals as well and so I just feel like we're kindred souls and I I, I can't express my appreciation enough to you for all you are doing for so so many people um, it's just it's absolutely marvelous, and I'm so glad um, that you have come to us in this form because you are really, really making a difference. And um, thank you so much, Laurie. I, I, I want to like to say that I, on behalf of everybody in the UK who knows your item, knows what you're doing, you are doing one half of the job as well. So for people with dementia, we would like to thank you as well, Laurie, for everything you've done. Oh, well, thank you so much. Any any last-minute thoughts you want to share with our audience? Otherwise, I'll, I'll let you go and hang up, and we'll get on to our next guest. <coughs> um, yeah, just, just basically, I always like to think that if anybody wants to contact me, I promise I will contact them by it, because I always think that if they've taken the time and trouble to sit down and they've taken time out of their life to write to me, and the least I could do is write back. And I promise I always, 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 100% try to answer some emails. So if anybody would like to chat to me, talk to me, uh, or email me, I'm always available. Okay, okay, well, wonderful. Well, again, thank you so much for joining us. You're very us welcome. Today. Okay, you have a wonderful day now. I'm going to go Thank ahead you. Bye bye, everybody over there. Have a great day. I'm going to go ahead and pull in our next guest here. And um, we have R.J. Sessman with us. And um, R.J. has been a writer uh, since she flipped open her Little Red Chef tablet and scribbled her first story. Eventually, she attended college where she earned an education. And she has been a biblical counselor and a step-in minister. She has worked as a communications professional in a variety of nonprofits and has served as campus administrator. Minister uh, to international students. Um, she enjoys teaching and writing workshops and helps others begin with their birth um, in words. Um, and she is the mother of an adult son and she enjoys reading and gardening and cooking. And so, with no further ado, I want to in, uh, introduce author of Unraveling Reverend G. R.J. Sessman. How are you doing, R.J.? I'm good. How are you, Lori? Good, good, good. I am I'm thrilled to have you with us. I don't know if you were able to listen in uh, when we were talking with Norms here earlier or not, but um, he's yes, always just, just, just a little bit. Yeah, a little okay. bit toward the end. What a delightful man. <laughs> yeah, he, he really is. I'd like you to tell us a little bit um, of background about yourself and how you personally were touched by dementia. Uh, yes, um, about um, probably 15 now years ago, my father was in a severe accident on our farm and was burned, first, second, third degree burns. <clears throat> After four months in the hospital and surgeries, 
um, the doctors diagnosed him with trauma-induced dementia. So over the next 10 years, he slowly faded away. And um, one of the things that I kept wondering, because I would go visit him and I would sing to him and I would see a little spark of life whenever I would sing, uh, because by that time he, you know, he gradually lost the ability to speak, um, and of course forgot all of our names and all of that kind of thing. But I kept wondering, uh, you know, what is he really thinking inside? And and then uh, gradually, um, even the spark from the music died, and then um, he passed away in '04. Uh, during that time, my mother was primary caregiver. She's a nurse, so she took care of him for 10 years um, as he went through the disease of dementia. So, and now, uh, kind of a cruel twist of fate, now my mother uh, has been diagnosed with Alzheimer's. So, uh, we're seeing more of the short-term memory type things with her. Okay, okay. Mm -hmm. So... Oh, did this journey, is that why you decided to write the book? Is that kind of what sparked um, the unraveling of Reverend Jean? Well, when I think back on it, I, I had always been a nonfiction writer, and um, it was really strange. I went through a period of unemployment and just woke up one day with this story in my head um, about this woman minister. But because of the experiences with uh, with my parents, I knew I wanted to write it from the first-person viewpoint, the person actually going through it, actually losing memory, actually um, not being able to do the things that they once did, and uh, and the frustration of that and the fear of it, uh, because that's that's one of the major issues is, like, particularly I've seen this with my mother, she knows that something's wrong, but she can't fix it. And uh, so I wanted to to show in my book from the first-person viewpoint exactly how the person feels. And, of course, some of it is conjecture, um, but some of it uh, from my research and from the experience of my family is is very real. Okay, okay. Um, well, that's, that's interesting. Um, can you can you give us a little bit of an idea of you know why you chose the title that you chose the unraveling? I find very interesting. Uh huh. Yeah. Um, well, I'm always looking as a writer. I'm always looking for the most interesting word and the most perfect word that fits whatever situation it is. Um, with dementia, with Alzheimer's, what I've seen is that it's you know it is piece by piece. Little by little, it's not, you know, it's not you wake up one day and memory and everything else is completely gone like amnesia. It's it's just a little piece here and there. And so it's like, you know, it's like the personality starts to kind of unravel. The the speech kind of uh, does that little by little. And so the, the best word that I that I could come up with was the unraveling of, of this, this personhood even though the the person is still there, they're inside, uh, very deeply inside, and um, and and it's the kind of the outward part of them that is that is disappearing. And then I was delighted when my uh, when my publisher and the artist worked on the cover and showed the yarn that was unraveling. That was like the perfect 
um, illustration for for what happens. Just little pieces of yarn slowly coming apart. Very, that's very, very true. Um, and uh-huh. it can be so subtle at times that mm-hmm. uh, people for, people forget um, if they've been around a while and then someone who hasn't seen somebody for a long time will all of a sudden see this huge, huge, huge shift. Can you mm-hmm. give us... Um, uh, you know some tidbits from the book. What will what will people learn from your book? Do you think? What's your goal? Well, my uh, my ultimate goal, and um, I actually dedicated the book to caregivers. Uh, so my ultimate goal is hopefully that caregivers will be encouraged um, that they are doing the right thing, even though it's sometimes it's just a puzzle of, you know, how shall I do this right? Um, how can I best help my loved one and at the same time take care of myself? Um, so the book does show in several places how Reverend G uh, is concerned for her family and concerned about losing her family. Um, so hopefully that in- that encourages all of us that uh, that the love uh, that our loved ones have for us is still there inside inside them, and and that's difficult because. You know, if they get to a stage where they're belligerent um, and say things or, or, or are violent to try to strike out at us, it's hard to remember that they do love us. And so um, so I'm hoping that, that the book will encourage caregivers. Um, it is also uh, Christian fiction, and so it's very um, – there are Bible verses in there, and, and it's also uh, a reminder that, you know, with something – as horrible as this disease is, um, that God can still uh, work in us and through us and still uh, help us through each each of those what we call the 36-hour days. So, so basically, I'm I'm hoping the book will will be an encouragement. Okay. Was there anything that you feel like you personally learned through through writing this book? Well, it was it was really interesting because as I got into it, my mom had just been diagnosed with Alzheimer's, and of course, Dad had already passed away. Um, so part of of what I learned, of course, I did a- extra research as well. Um, and uh, but one of the things that I learned was that what my mom was going through, I would observe that, and I would put some of those instances in the book, and then um, sometimes whatever I was doing in the book, then I would go back and I would see it in mom. So it was kind of an interesting interplay there between uh, personal experience and fiction that was kind of happening uh, right in front of me. Um, And then also as I have gone around and done speaking opportunities since the book came out, gone to lots of different um, assisted living places, and uh, one of the things that I have learned um, is the – the prevalence of the early onset uh, of Alzheimer's and dementia that we are seeing now. Um, you know, there are, there are some people that believe that, that we're seeing more of this disease because we're living longer, but that's really not true because the early onset people, um, it's hitting them in their 40s, and um, yeah. some of them. And, and so, um, so it's not because we're living longer. There's some other piece in there. Uh, and probably one of the other pieces of research I learned that was very startling to me is that there are 2,500 variations of Alzheimer's and dementia. And so 
learning how to, you know, even for uh, for the medical professionals, how to treat, um, you know, each person is going to be different. And uh, yeah. so, so that was really startling to me. Well, and I think one of the biggest things that, that people don't understand with this disease is, is yes, it, it has, uh, you know, it physically destroys the brain, but um, but what isn't being tackled is how people process things is really right. what's being affected. And so we we really have to look at, when we're looking at the reactions, we have to figure out what's triggering um, their reactions. You know, what are their perceptions? Because that's what's changed. And that's, I think, one of the largest pieces that we as care partners can make a difference at. You know, we can uh-huh. do a little bit differently because they they can no longer adapt into our world, we have to adapt things to make them comfortable, and the goal really should be their comfort, um, figuring out routines yes. and so forth. Um, did you find with with um, with your family that uh, routines were helpful? Yes, routines are are vitally important, and of course, you know, as we know, if you break the routine. Uh, they become very agitated and very confused. Um, so daily routine um, and, and of course, you know, being in the same place, not changing furniture around um, as much as possible, keeping the weekly routine the same, you know, try to go to the doctor on the same day of the week, uh, hair fixed at a certain time. And, um, and of course, uh, it seems like everybody's favorite show is Wheel of Fortune, you know, that comes on at 6.30 every day. We watch that. You know, those kinds of things. Uh, routine gives them a little bit of sense of control that's still in their lives, but also gives them a little sense of security. Um, and then also I think, you know, to uh, to backtrack on what you just uh, said recently, uh, um, knowing the life story of each person. Um, you know, because my dad was completely different personality, different life story really than my mom, and so what what affects my dad would not affect my mom. And so knowing their life stories, the things that they enjoyed doing before this disease um, attacked them, um, you know, whether it was being outside or being inside or, um, you know, with my mom, she loves cinnamon rolls. So when I visit her, I bring her a cinnamon roll. You know, and so, uh, yeah, that kind of a routine thing is so very important and um, and something I also, along with routine, is as much as possible keep them out of the hospital. I mean, sometimes, yes, they have to go for a medical reason, but if possible, keep them out of the hospital because there are so many things that break their routine there. They become very agitated, very confused. Uh, you know, as wonderful as medical professionals are, it is not a not a good place uh, for particularly for someone dealing with dementia and Alzheimer's. Yeah, well, in every time that they are are moved and, and out of that mm-hmm. routine, I mean, now you're now you're talking not just they didn't get yeah. their shower or their meal on time. Everything has right. changed. Their environment has changed. Yes. People around them has changed. Um, it can mm-hmm. really have a devastating effect where people yes. um, once back home. Um, don't bounce back. Um, it can cause right. that much confusion. So, yeah, really, mm-hmm. 
really knowing those things ahead of time, understanding the, uh, you know, urinary tract infections and all of those uh-huh. things before before they take their, their toll. That still always surprises me every time I, I say it because I never thought a urinary tract infection could have such a huge impact on uh, mm-hmm. someone's behavior. Um, yes. But, but it's massive and it is one of those questions that we should be, people should be asking about. Uh-huh. Um, I have a question getting back to the book. Um, where did the uh-huh. idea come from um, for a cat who forecasts yeah. Um, yeah, that was uh that was interesting because um probably fifteen, twenty years ago I read an article um about a cat uh, that was in um I believe it was in Rhode Island. There was an assisted living facility that had a cat on staff um who was able to smell the chemicals that, that the body gives off before death and would let the the people know, the staff know, so that they could call in family members and uh, get them ready so they could say goodbye and everything to their loved one. So so when I started writing the book, I love cats anyway, and and we all know that uh, that pet therapy is important, uh, you know, in Alzheimer's and dementia. So I knew I wanted this cat in the book, and um, so it was interesting that, that he appeared... He appears about in the fourth chapter or so, and um, he has a little routine that he he goes and um, he visits people. He jumps on their bed and he curls up beside them and puts his paw on their wrist. And in about you know ten to two weeks, they they pass away. Ten ten days to two weeks, they they pass away. And so um, uh, he he was really fun to write about, and and uh, that was one of the things I wanted in my book as well is. Because Alzheimer's and dementia is just such a a sad and heavy topic, I wanted to include some humor, some fun things, and uh, Gabriel the, the cat is is one of those fun things. Well, that's neat. And you know, I've seen lots of different articles on animals and just the comfort uh-huh. that they bring to people and the knowledge yes. that they have. Um, I know in hospice you see um, pets a lot in, in hospice. Uh-huh. Talk a lot about the cat who just curls up on the bed and won't leave. Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, it's just like they, they know it's time and they want to be there with them. And um, mm-hmm. there was one one story I even heard where there was a, a horse. I'm trying to think who oh. that was. It told me about <laughs> a, a horse that had, had come in. Um, and it was, it was a, this person was very attached to horse. And of course, it was a rural setting. And so they brought this horse in and um, that was really her last contact before she passed, and she just got this uh-huh. smile on her face and said, yep. okay, I can go now. And uh-huh. so right. I just, just never, never know. Um, are mm-hmm. there any specific lessons that you can share with us in the book or insights that you think would be beneficial to people that you could kind of share and give us a little tidbits? Um, uh-huh. Uh, yeah. Um, in fact, um, as I go go around speaking, I, I um, have a have a speech that I do about you know tips for caregivers. And I think uh, one of the one of the things that comes out is that we need to continue to talk um, to our loved ones, even if they can't respond. We need to continue to uh, to look them in the eye, smile at them, talk to them, because it's sometimes it's um, 
it's easy to almost forget they're in the room. You know, we talk around them, family members, we talk around them, or we talk to the doctor back and forth about their symptoms without uh, including that person in the conversation, even if they can't necessarily respond. And um, I've learned this with my mother as well as uh, including it in the book, that that the communication, keep on talking, keep on, because we don't really know exactly how much they can understand in the brain at that point and what exactly is going on because they may not be able to respond to us. But but by including them in the conversation, we respect them. We honor them. Um, and I think the other, the other main point, which we know uh, for care partners and caregivers, is that the caregivers need to take care of themselves. Um, it's it's kind of like the old the old uh, airline um, mantra of you know put the oxygen mask on yourself first and then you can help others. Um, so caregivers need to be very proactive to take a break, take care of themselves, uh, be healthy, exercise, good nutrition, um, you know, and that kind of thing. You can't just sit by a bed uh, day by day by day and and never have a break. You need a vacation and you need a break. So I think those are some of the the tips that the book shows out uh, especially. Well, that's that's good because I think so often people get so overwhelmed that they they put themselves in, um, you know, almost time out, you know. It's like Mm -hmm. this is what you have to do. You're in lockdown um, trying to do the best you can do and you know, you can't do your best if you're not healthy mm-hmm. and balanced. And That's right. So yeah. You, you need to when you're when you're giving care. You know, we're exuding so much. We have to get refilled too. And yes. So it, it, it is very very important um, to be able to do that. Um, mm-hmm. One of your questions with the book um, that you say is probably the most important is um, the question may be why. But the the real question is who? Do I have that right? Yes, that's right. Yeah, the question may be why, but the answer is who. Um, okay. And uh, yeah, and it's a capital W on the who. You know, we all we all ask why when things happen to us. I mean, ever since the days of Job, you know, asking why why do this why do the good people suffer and. You know, why does Alzheimer's and dementia have to happen to my family? And, um, uh, you know, why is it so hard? And and we never really, this side of heaven, we rarely get the answer to the whys. Um, But God is the one who knows the answer. Um, And so uh, even though our questions may be why, uh, the answer is in in who, in who he is, in who God is. Um, Because... You know, Alzheimer's can be uh, something that we can learn from. We can certainly learn patience and perseverance. Uh, for some families, it gives them a chance to uh, to reconcile some old grievances. Um, and, and as horrible as, as the disease is, uh, there can be a little bit of a silver lining. Um, it gives us time to say goodbye. Um, so, uh, you know, God knows why all those things happen and why he has allowed them to happen. So we need to focus on the who. We need to focus on God and trust him for the outcome 
um, <clears throat> and and trust that he knows what's best and he will help us through the process. Very true, very true. I, I think uh, no matter you know what a person's faith is, um, that higher power, that belief of that higher power mm-hmm. um, is so important that we're not alone and um, that that there is um, that there is hope. Um, yes. And the salvation um, is mm-hmm. very, very important. What What comes next for you now that you've written this book? I know you've written um, several others as well, but what's, what's uh-huh. on your plate next for you? Well, uh, for those people who who read the book, they'll see that um, uh, that there can be uh, more to come in Reverend G's life. And so, the second book I've actually written it. It's already written. I'm in the editing process right now. Um, and then there will be a third book, uh, a third and final book. And so with each continuing book, Reverend G will go a little bit farther into her journey uh, with dementia and Alzheimer's. Uh, I will continue with Gabriel the Cat, um, and there will be other new characters that surface in the assisted living place. Uh, some will be fun and some will be uh, learning learning people. And, um, uh, and then uh, so I, I definitely have those those two books to come. Um, after that, I have another uh, novel idea in my head that I would like to work on. But um, I'm just right now. I'm I'm pretty much living and breathing Reverend G. And so <laughs> I've got those two books uh, after this one to come. So okay, wonderful. Now, how do people mm-hmm. get a hold of your your you and also your book? Uh, well, my book is available through my publisher, Cross River Media. dot com. It's also available on Amazon, um, and it's also on Kindle. Um, so that's those are probably the easiest ways right now. Uh, for people that are local in the Kansas City area, um, of course, I'm available for uh, speaking opportunities and book signings and that kind of thing. Um, they can get a hold of me at rjtesman.com uh, or dot, um, at Yahoo. And uh, my website is rjtestman.net. So uh, Yahoo for my for my email and .net for my website. So um, okay. and and I and I love hearing from people and um, try to be real uh, active about answering emails. So great, right. uh, RJ. Is there anything else that you want to share with our audience at all, or? Uh, well, I guess, um, uh, first of all, you know, I, I do appreciate this opportunity, Lori, and thank you for inviting me to be part of this. Um, you know, the, the Alzheimer's and dementia is uh, is with us. It's, um, and as our baby boomers, as we as we move uh, through life, uh, more and more of us are, are probably going to be facing this, not only with our parents, but ourselves and um, with our children. So I think you know, it's important that uh, you have a family plan. Um, I have a file uh, already for my son that, of course, has my will and all that kind of thing. But I have uh, put in there, you know, my wishes, uh, you know, things like things that I have even observed um, uh, going through this is, you know, um, if this happens to me, you know, if I become like grandma, you know, forgive me and um, and this is what I want to have happen, you know, for for those uh, who can uh, to get um, long-term care, uh, be sure that they're um, that they're trying to stay as healthy as they can, as long as they can, um, because it, I mean, this. Hopefully, we can all pray for a cure 
but right now nobody knows what causes it. So how can they cure if they don't know what causes it? So, so we need to uh, to be praying for a cure as well. But I think those are some of the things being being proactive, uh, you know, about our own health and uh, and those for our family members. And then you know, again, take care of yourselves so that you can take care of others. Definitely. Definitely. Well, I thank you so much for um, taking the time to be with us today. I really appreciate it, and it's always good uh-huh. to um, hear other books that are out there. People are, um, I mean, this is just a hot topic, and uh, yes. we don't have enough information out there for everyone who needs it. So, again, I, I appreciate you uh, mm-hmm. taking the time to be, be on the show with us. I think what I'm going to do is go ahead and close our show up then. But, again, I thank you so much for being with us, RJ. Okay? Thank you. Thank you, Lori. Yep. Thank you so much. Yep. Yep. Bye-bye. Um, Bye-bye. For those of you that are listening, um, again, if you've enjoyed the show today, we would love for you to help us spread the word. You can like us on Facebook. You can tweet us. You can... Um, email this. You can also download the recorded session if you'd like to. Um, and just, you know, help share share the word and the wisdom of those that we have on the show. We do have um, an upcoming show on the 13th. I'm going to have Ellen Beck on, and she's going to be talking about living a great life with dementia. And then on the 15th, which is uh, Dementia Awareness Day, which Norms McNamara, our first guest, started we're going to have open mic days. So my goal for that day is to really have people participate either through the chat box or calling in live. I really want to hear from our listeners. Um, what are you doing to make a difference? What are your needs? Um, what's working? What's not working? And, um, and then again, we've got on the 17th, we are going to talk about memory maps. And we're going to have uh, Dr. Todd uh, Sedlin with Bluestone Physicians on. And so that will be very interesting. Um, the whole month and, and month of October, we've got some great, great shows. And I also want to remind people that we will have another Dementia Chat, which is our webinar platform, which is a free um, access. And you can go to www. Alzheimer'sSpeaks.com and Alzheimer's is plural as well as Speaks.com and go to the About page to Dementia Chats and it will lead you uh, where you can get information on how to join us there. In the meantime, I encourage you all to use your memory chip and, um, and focus when you're dealing with people with dementia on three simple things. Are they safe? Are they happy? And are they pain-free? Again, thanks for listening today, and have a blessed, blessed week. We'll talk to you soon. Bye now. Hi, this is Suzanne Newman, host of the Answers for Elders podcast and radio show. We are the North Star that guides you through the complicated journey of senior care with trusted experts in money, law, living solutions, and more. So join us on this station, your favorite podcast channel, or just go to AnswersForElders.com. Meet the Way Showers who will help your journey a lot easier.